Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, along with Derek Scott and Brendan Escott, joining you on Oilers Now. The Edmonton Oilers expected to be a fairly quiet team. Who knows? They might even trade away their number two. We'll have to wait and see on that front. Uh, but we're going to head to Nashville right now on the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline. Uh, not before I tell you that guests on the show receive gift cards to Japanese Village, Edmonton's favorite teppanyaki steak restaurant. Book your celebration for the census today at jvedmonton.ca at their new location on Calgary Trail as well. Uh, we head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline and welcome back to the show. I think this is the second or third time we've had him on over the years. The Director of Scouting for McKean's Hockey with a particular emphasis on the OHL. Brock Otten joins us right now from McKean's. Brock, it's Bob Stoffer. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Uh, been to Nashville lots over the years, obviously, in my role of doing color for the Oilers. Uh, was that every draft from 9 to 19, uh, 2009 to 2019? Uh, suffice to say, Nashville's probably won a fair amount of people over this weekend. No surprise. It's a great city, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Broadway's been pretty busy this week. It has been. This has been the Connor Bedard draft. Uh, the orders were fortuitous, I would argue, to win the lottery twice. Once in 14 when Leon fell to three, and once in 15 when they won the lottery to get McDavid, uh, the other Connor. Um, tell me about your perception on Connor Bedard. Is this a generational player? Yeah, I really do believe so. I think what sets him apart is sometimes you have these players that have that elite skill, right? They're they're within that top three every year, but the difference with Bedard is he has that instinct, that desire, that drive that guys like Crosby, guys like McDavid have, where not only are they the best player on the ice, but they're the best player off the ice, right? They, they want to be the best. They're constantly putting in the work to be the best, and, and that's what separates guys like Connor from other first overall picks in recent years. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I saw him twice last season coming with Regina. Uh, it just so happened that the Oilers were in town when the Oil Kings were playing him. And like Edmonton had a, they had a rough year. You know, it goes with an unbelievable team the year before. Probably should have had a lot better showing the Memorial Cup, but they had significant injuries. Dylan Gunther didn't play. Well, they're in a full blown rebuild. Connor Bedard could have had ten points the second time Regina played Edmonton. Like he was that dominant, and it just puck didn't go in for him that night. I think he reminds me, and it's an old school uh, reference, but of Marcel Dion, who 10 times in his career had 40 or more goals in the NHL. When you see Connor Bedard, what do you think? Like, is there a, a more recent comparable? Do you, you know, do you have a, I don't know if we've ever seen a guy that sort of has mastered the stick as much as he has in the weapon, but is there a guy you can compare him to? No, I, I've actually heard the Dion one before, and I, you know, that's a little bit before my era, but I, from what I understand, that one's pretty apt. Uh, I think what makes Bedard so special is we haven't really seen a guy that really compares extremely well to, to Connor. He's such a well-rounded, intelligent, offensive player. His shot is, is among the best that I've ever seen. And just everything that he brings to the table, uh, I think it's really hard. Or maybe, like, it's it's even... I'll use the word like 
difficult to to sort of pigeonhole him to to one particular player. Yeah. I think you have to look at taking pieces of players, right? You've got that shot and that scoring ability that Austin Matthews has, right? You have that ability to to break down the game. Um, from an IQ perspective that a guy like Sidney Crosby has, right? Um, and I think that's what makes Connor so special is we, we can't just compare him to one player. He's somebody that has all these attributes from a bunch of different modern players. Yeah, I remember uh, we had Derek Roy on the Oilers team in fourteen fifteen, and I told him I was going into Erie when we were in Pittsburgh to see him play. And I said, so how do you think he's going to do next year? And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, he would have had 70 points in the NHL this year ahead of his draft year. So, I, you know, then you go and see McDavid, and the speed was so obvious and the explosiveness and the vision. All right, let's get to the second pick. Um, is there a debate there for you, or should it be Adam Fantilli? No, I think that those two guys are – Definitely a bit of a toss-up. I definitely would lean more towards Fantilli because I personally believe that he's more likely to stick down the middle. And when I say more likely, I think without question, Fantilli is a center. Carlson, I think it's sort of 50-50 as to whether he ends up on the wing in the future. So obviously I'm going to give preference to the guy that I think can stick down the middle as sort of that power center that's very highly coveted in, in today's NHL, right? Those are the types of guys that are really carrying teams deep into the playoffs these days. And I think uh, in terms of offensive upside, I think these guys, even though they're very different kinds of players, I think their offensive ceilings are very similar, sort of in that like 70 to 80 point range. I don't think either of the two are going to ever win um, you know, any extreme NHL awards or any of the sort. I don't think we're looking at uh, a league scoring champion here, but both of these two players should be excellent long-term pros. And I think in terms of who goes second, I think it's very much in the up, up in the air still. We're even hearing reports of, of Anaheim sort of rekindling their interest in Mitchkov here in Nashville. And yeah, wow. That, that's, that's the real wild card, right? Is, is it Mitchkov? Is it Carlson? Is it Fantilli? If you had asked me a week ago, I would have unquestionably said Adam Fantilli. Um, I would have been that confident. But now, uh, it really does seem like there's a lot of smoke, and when there's smoke, there's fire, right? Well, it's going to be interesting because they've got some pretty good young forwards there. Uh, I might debate long-term what the ceiling is on Zegras, but they had a guy come in there last year that played a big factor in Canada's World Junior victory in Edmonton, and I'm I'm, I'm going to always bet on McTavish. I think he's going to be a heck of a two-way centerman in his career. Mitch Koff, total wild card, eh? Like it just can you explain like where where his contract situation is at, and um, you know is he a guy that could go anywhere conceivably from uh, two until I don't know six or seven maybe in the draft? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I would say two to eight. Uh, I, I, he doesn't get past Washington. Uh, I really don't think he gets past Washington at eight. So I think two to eight is, is definitely the range for him. There, there's so many different things uh, at play here. Uh, one, you have the off-ice sort of issues, we'll call them, uh, that you've already mentioned, right? You have the political climate in Russia. You have the contract uh, that runs three years with his KHL team. Um, so obviously he's not going to be an NHL player for the next three years. Uh, personally, I, I think that's a little bit overblown anyway. People like to make a lot of uh, noise about that. But in reality, most of these guys are, are not going to be high-impact players for two or three years anyway. So you're already going to be waiting. So you like to think that when that contract is done in Russia and he comes over, he's going to be an immediate impact player, kind of similar to what Minnesota got with Kaprizov. Um, uh, on the ice, you've got 
a guy that's small. You've got a small winger who plays a fairly one-dimensional game who isn't the most dynamic skater. And that's not to say that Mishkov is a poor skater by any means, but when you've got an undersized guy, and, and when I say undersized, I'm talking about everything. He's very slight. His build is not heavy at this current moment. Um, and he's probably an average to above-average skater. And when you're drafting that high, very rarely do you see non-elite skaters be taken in that sort of top three, top four, top five range, right? I mean, you look at the draft this year, and Adam Fantilli is one of the better skating players in the draft. Um, Connor Bedard well, wouldn't be at the upper echelon, but he brings so many other things to the table. And you mix in some of the minor on-ice concerns with Mishkov with the major off-ice ones, and then you have people sort of second-guessing you know, where are we going to, to pick this guy? And when you look around what's being presented on social media and what's being talked about here in Nashville, um, I think you definitely have spots where he can go and, <clears throat> excuse me, spots where he definitely won't go. I think we've already sort of heard Columbus uh, saying that they didn't really meet with him. Um, Arizona didn't meet with him. So it sounds like three um, is not going to happen. It sounds like six. It's yeah. not going to happen, right? So is it two? Is it four? Um, it sounds like Montreal is a real wild card there for him, so maybe they're still in play. Uh, so he's the, he's the big one at the draft this year. He's the huge wild card that could set sort of uh, ignite an explosion throughout – two through eight, and then it just kind of carries on to the rest of the draft. Brock Odden joining us right now from Akeens. Brock, were you, were you uh, scouting in the Yakupov draft year back in 2012? I, I was. I was doing just primarily OHL work. Also, so, obviously, so, and being an OHL player, yeah. yeah, And, I, yeah, and where I'm going, like, for our familiar. fan base, like, I, I mean, I've been doing the show a lot. There was... There was more consensus on Yakupov at number one for the Oilers fan base. You can all have revisionist history now, but don't BS me because I remember what the texts were. Oh, the Oilers have to take Yakupov. There was a, I mean, I had heard that he could be like Karlamov. Okay, and I loved Harlamov, you know. And uh, it, it ultimately, there was more consensus on Yakupov than there was on Hall versus Sagan or Nugent Hopkins versus, mm-hmm. you know, Huberto and Landeskog in that draft. And when you're describing Meechko, off. You know, he's, it's, you know, I would have to assume he would have better hockey. Did you have any concerns in that 2000? I've taken you down a completely different path here, but did you have, when you saw Yakupov play in 2012, did you have, mm. I mean, because he was a stockier build, he was an explosive skater. What were your thoughts mm-hmm. on him at that time? Yeah, I think it's, it's a very cautionary tale, right? Like, I think we were blinded by some of the issues in Yakupov game and that maybe kind of muddled his projection just because he was so skilled, he was so quick, he was so flashy that we didn't really stop to think about how he used his line mates and how he played away from the puck. Um, and I think there were a lot of red flags that we kind of looked past. And I think that's why I say it's, it's a cautionary tale because I think scouting has improved a lot um, since that Yakupov selection a, a decade ago, right? Where now these players are just so highly criticized. They're under that microscope and every component of their game is critiqued. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's very easy to draw some comparisons between Yakupov and Mitchkov because there are those concerns away from the puck that Yakupov had. Um, I think that he eased some of my personal concerns um, in the second half with improved play in terms of 
how he utilizes his teammates. Uh, I think that his ability to create plays for others definitely improved in the second half. And I, I think that kind of eased a little bit of concern from, from my end and, and from our scouting staff and the Kings uh, as well. But yeah, I, I think that sometimes when you have these types of players like, uh, like a Yakupov, um, like a Mitchkov, where they are sort of one-dimensional, there is that inherent risk, right? Where yep. if, if that game doesn't translate, these aren't going to be NHL players. This is, you know, Mitchkov is, is a first or second line winger or bust. He, he's not going to play on your third line. It's not going to happen. He's not that kind of player, right? It's not like a guy like Fantilli or Carlson where there's no way they don't hit in some capacity, right? They're, they're going to be NHL right. players. Even even if their upside doesn't end up hitting at that extreme level that oh. we talk about, they're still going to be NHL players. Mitchkov, if if he's not a first or second line player, I would even argue if he's not like a high end first line player, uh, if he's more of like a middle six guy, I would imagine that teams just don't invest and his timing in the league or his time spent in the league is probably minimal because he ends up going back to, to the KHL where he can make more money in that sort of role, right? Yeah, all right. I'm going to give you a couple of quick hitters. Uh, you're in the OHL. Who's the best player in the OHL for this year's draft? It's Colby Barlow for me. Um, he's somebody that plays a very mature game. Uh, I think there's a high floor and a high ceiling there. I think he's definitely at least a, a quality third-line complementary guy who can play in a, sort of any situation. Um, but I think that as his puck skill improves, as his skating improves, he has a really good shot, really understands how to play away from the puck, um, plays that sort of heavy north-south game that, that does translate quite well. Uh, so I think there is a high ceiling there too. It's like a, a consistent sort of thirty goal score, kind of like James Neal in his prime, right? Okay. Um, and because Neal Neal was not a timid player when he came out of Plymouth no. in that draft year, they had a they had a tough team. I remember them at the Memorial Cup that year. Yeah, and Colby isn't quite as physical as as James was. Um, you know, he's he's not James Neal. He's not a, another guy that Oilers fans are very familiar with, Ravi Torres, right? He's not that kind of physically abrasive player, but he he plays hard, right? He's hard on pucks. He's he's a great forechecker. He's a really committed two way player. He drives the net. Is willing to take a beating to to score in that sort of home plate area. Um, and that's that's what I mean when I say sort of that heavy game. He's he's not like a big open ice hitter. He's not. Um, he's not that sort of old school throwback power forward, um, but his game does sort of fit in really well with the way that, that NHL is sort of trending, in my opinion. And I think he's the type of guy that can wear a letter and just has a very safe trajectory. So that's why he'd be the top OHL guy. All right. And one final one for you best uh, WHL available player after Bedard. Yeah, I'm going to go with Benson. Uh, I, I do yeah. understand some of the concerns over the lack of size and the lack of, we'll call it like elite foot speed for a guy that, that small. But I think he's easily one of the smartest players in the draft. Um, and I, I think one thing that we tend to sort of underappreciate is just how smarter players can find a way to be high-end NHL players without sort of that elite, uh, elite physical tool set that maybe we kind of tend to obsess over. Um, so I could honestly see Benson falling a little bit. I, I could see teams sort of being concerned there. But uh, he's just such a smart and, and creative player that he'd be number two behind Bedard. Yeah, you know what? Winnipeg had some real good players, 
And bottom line for me, when and again I saw them, he was the bet like in, when when they came in town here and like they've had former number one overall WHL picks. Uh, you know they had a couple first rounders in last year's draft. I thought Benson was their most dynamic player because you know what if you can't process the game, you don't have a chance. He can think on the ice. It was pretty clear. Uh, how do people follow you on Twitter and that sort of thing with McKean's Brock? So Twitter handles at Brock Otten. Um, you can purchase our uh, draft guide from McKeenshockey.com. Um, on Twitter, you'll see links to a lot of my work over the year. I also do a lot of OHL stuff just with my website. I also have a podcast on the Hockey News where we talk a lot about the OHL, and we've we've chronicled uh, a lot of the draft uh, prospects leading up to uh, today and tomorrow. So you can check out all my work there. All right, excellent stuff. Thank you for your time, Brock. Yeah, appreciate it. See ya. See ya. 149 in Edmonton. We will tell you at this time that Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more get their new boneless wings, 8 for thirteen ninety five or 16 for twenty five ninety five. Visit royalpizza.ca. When we return on Oilers Now, we'll get to this day in Oilers history. Bob Stoffer, Derek Scott, Brendan Escott joining you. This is Oilers Now. It's 150 in Edmonton. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. All right, it is uh, 151 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Derek Scott with you, uh, with Brandon S. Scott. You can text us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. And at this time, uh, we're going to get to a couple texts here. Bob, I guess only fossils remember how awesome Marcel Dion was. Dinosaur. He's got little dinosaur emojis going. Uh, that's from Jason in San Cudo. Jason, look, man. Marcel Dion had 10 40-plus goal seasons, six 50-plus goal seasons. He was a stocky, right-shot center-slash-wing coming out of junior, went second in his draft year. The only reason why he didn't go first is Guy Lafleur came out of the same draft year. Okay, He was a Hall of Fame player, one of the greatest offensive players of all time. I think Connor Bedard is that type of player. Again, you can text us, 780-496-0063. Keep it coming at any time on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Uh, I'm loving what the Kings have done to their team this past week. My view is they're not a better team uh, today. They are not a better team today. There's a lot of people that I don't like, like PLD, Pierre-Luc Dubois. All right, we go into this day in Oilers history at 152. And uh, the day in Oilers history is brought to you all season long by New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. I have a feeling with the Oilers uh, schedule getting launched yesterday, we might be going to Nashville early in the season. Okay? Might be going to Nashville early in the season. The NHL draft is tonight. Reed Wilkins will have coverage of that. Uh, the Oilers, again, without a first-round pick, or we would have been there. Uh, the Oilers, uh, back in 1994, they had a pick at number four and a pick at number six. They hit on the guy at six. They missed on the guy at number four. Jason Bond Sr., June 28, 1994. So that's uh, 29 years ago today. The Oilers uh, drafted Bonsignor fourth. They took Ryan Smith sixth. Bonsignor played just 21 games uh, with the Oilers before his career fizzled out. He's one of the worst ever top five picks in NHL history. Ryan Smith, the Oilers hit the home run on him. Played 15 seasons with the Oilers in two stints. Seconds in games played in the franchise with 971. And six in points with 631. Of course, he went up on the uh, Oilers uh, Wall of Fame 
uh, last year. Reed Wilkins again. We'll have more coverage tonight with Inside Sports from 6 to 8. Tomorrow we got a jam-packed show. Cam Moon is in studio from 12.30 until 2 o'clock. Guests will include Elliot Friedman for Abe's Door Service and Kevin Radomski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Up next, a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3 and then Chelsea Unched with Chelsea Bird from 3 until 6. Back at you at noon tomorrow. So long, everybody.